there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm, Su- I'm Susan. You're Susan. Uh-huh. Hello, Susan. Also known as Susie. Hello, Susie. Do you guys know I have an alter ego named Susie? <laughs> she likes to get weird at home. <laughs> yep, she that goes. sounded... Mm-hmm. You made it sound like something else. Mm, it's a little something else. <laughs> I'll be in the shower, and you'll come down like, hey, Lindsay? And then you'll be like, no, it's Susie. I, I won't even answer him. It's so great. Mm-hmm. One time I came into the bathroom while you were showering ever so quietly. You heard me. You were like, Lindsay? Lindsay? And then I snuck back out. Uh-huh. And then I came back in a few minutes later, and you were like, what is happening? <laughs> and I said, Susie was in here. Susie did it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hi, Dan. This is the 94th episode for Real This Time. Oh, for real! Yay! Not like last week. You don't know I how to know. You, you know how to count this week. Mm-hmm. Hey, I good do. job! And I, and I'm gonna burn through our announcements and get right into our stories. Oh, how's that sound? Okay. Uh, very cool. Fire dancers, graphic tea in the oh, store. Speaking of fire, speaking of fire, uh, badmagicmerch.com. Uh, another tea that just kind of stands on its own. I think is an awesome design. So well done, Logan. Thank you for continuing to crank out such cool designs. Yes, I truly love it. And then uh, even quicker charity reminder than I gave last week. Uh, the two Bad Magic Productions for June. Uh, I'm sorry, the two Bad Magic Productions June charities. There you go, my friend. That's what I wrote. That's what you meant to say. We're Trinity Stables in Georgia and Vintage Pet Rescue. So Trinity Stables runs a weekly mentorship program that utilizes equine assistant learning to better prepare foster and adopted kids for healthy transitions into adulthood. TrinityStables.net for more info. Vintage Pet Rescue is a Rhode Island-based nonprofit committed to rescuing vintage. I love that they call them vintage. I know. A.K.A. senior pets from shelters and assisting their owners who can no longer take care of them. VintagePetRescue.org for more info. At what point can I call you vintage? ay ay A couple ay. decades. Give me a couple decades. ay 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 <laughs> Thanks to our uh, Roberts and Annabelles for contributing so much to both 
donations. Yes. Thank you so much. And now story time. Okay. Can I just show off my socks? They're super mm-hmm. special socks. They're from Alaska. I don't know oh, if you those can are see cool. the wolves. Uh-huh. Um, I'm so sad. We had some fans step up, stop by the studio last week. Uh, JR, Lex, and Amanda. So sorry I missed you guys. Thank you so much for leaving a present on my desk. It was so sweet. That was very nice. Yeah. Uh, and you have two stories Dos. today. And are they both haunted house tales? Is that what you told me? They are. I like it. Mm-hmm. It'll balance and, out stay nicely. And they're both in the South. Both in the South? Uh-huh. Okay, well, both of mine are across the pond over in the UK. Okay, well, I like mine be better because I'm going to the South ah. soon. And so I'm like, I'm gearing myself up for a trip to NOLA. I'm going to be so scared and I'm going to be by myself. So you don't even have to worry about dealing with it. All right. Uh, yeah, she'll be heading down there with her dad. Uh-huh. So you won't totally be alone. You'll, you'll have daddy. That was creepy. Mm-hmm. You'll have your sweet daddy. Can you stop saying <laughs> daddy? You don't so, want to spend time with your daddy? Stop! Oh, God, it's giving me, like... Yeah. Oh, my God, my yeah. father is puckering. Oh, uh, you guys are so Your gross. father. Your father. You my father figure. Your, father? <laughs> your <laughs> father figure, your, ex, your dad. He's a figure who is a father. Uh, uh, yes, we'll be down there together. <laughs> we have separate rooms, so calm down. <laughs> You're making it weird. You made it weird! Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I have to put up with, and I'm in a studio with all boys. Oh, boy. My life is rough. Okay, so my two stories. The first is Scotland's most famous poltergeist story, the Saki poltergeist. Like like the drink? Uh, it's spelled S-A-U-S-H-I-E, so okay, no. Okay, thank and, you. I just needed that. Saki, or it's pronounced Saki. Okay, I just needed that. Uh, otherwise, the, I'd be thinking about Saki beer the whole uh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's pronounced that way, but with, of course, a, a heavy Scottish accent. Which uh, you're not going to do. No. Several weeks of intense activity, most of it taking place over 10 days centered around 11-year-old Virginia Campbell in a house neighborhood that are still reportedly haunted. And then after that... One of the most bizarre stories we've oh, told yeah. here on Scared to Death. You've been talking about this for days now, and I'm nervous. <laughs> just one of the most bizarre stories I've ever come across just in general in life. Okay. The very strange tale, very strange, of the shared madness of twin sisters Ursula and Sabina Erickson. The meat of that story takes place just south of Scotland near Stoke-on-Trent, England, between Manchester and Birmingham. That was just a lot of words. Stoke-on-Trent and blah, blah, blah. I know. I like that the town is Stoke-on-Trent. It's a little city. Uh, but yeah, Stoke hyphen on hyphen Trent. Yeah, I knew what you meant. Oh, England. Uh, are you ready for a poltergeist story? Um, yes. Fair amount of setup on this one. Okay, I'm going to get a little cozy over here with my blankie. Okay, okay yeah, bye. settle in. Saki is a small town in the central lowlands of Scotland with a population of just around 6,000 located just north of the River Forth in the Scottish county of Clackmannanshire. Major area of Scotch production for any whiskey lovers listening. It's the smallest historic county in Britain, often referred to as the Wee County. And at the beginning of the 1960s, when our story takes place, the county was known for a number of weaving mills, alcohol breweries, and bottle manufacturing. Due to an abundance of good jobs and an overall low cost of living, it was fast becoming a popular place for people to relocate with their families. Families like the Campbells. 11-year-old Virginia Campbell spent some time she undoubtedly would never forget in Saki when she moved there from Ireland in November of 1960. Her mother, Annie, had secured a good job, which included accommodation in the nearby even smaller town of Dollar, less than 3,000 people. Virginia's father, James, would remain in Ireland for a few weeks in order to finish selling off the family farm. While her mother worked in Dollar alone without her father, yet uh, moved over to help watch her, young Virginia was sent to stay temporarily in Saki with her 30-year-old uncle Thomas, his wife Isabella, and their children, her cousins Margaret, 9, and Derek, 6. 
The fragmented move was unsurprisingly quite stressful on young uh, Virginia, who had not only who not only had to leave her home and school and friends, but also had to part with her beloved dog Toby. Oh. Mm-hmm. She had moved not only to a new place but a new country, similar to her old country, but still a major move. She left her pet and friends behind. Her mother and father were both absent for the time being, and she didn't even get her own room or bed for that matter. Okay, that is really stressful. Yes. That's a lot of stress. A lot of stress for an 11-year-old. Virginia was put in her cousin Margaret's room with whom she'd have to share a bed. Virginia, unsurprisingly, not thrilled about all of this, but she was a resilient 11-year-old, pleasant child with a mass of blonde hair, bright blue eyes, sunny disposition, and she took the move like a champ. Aw. Important to note for the story that she was not a child known to cause trouble. Mm-hmm. No one associated with what is claimed to have happened around Virginia in this story seems to think she was responsible for any of it. No one seems to have thought she was acting out, as some members of the press would later speculate. By all accounts given by those who actually knew her and were there, she seemed to have accepted her new situation knowing it was the best for her family and that it would make her mother and father happy. And the first week or so at her uncle's house went by without incident. She and her cousin and new roommate, Margaret, got along well, and she quickly learned the new rules of her parents or, you know, her family's house and followed them. And then the scratching began. Time now for the tale of the Saki poltergeist. Roughly two weeks into her stay at her aunt and uncle's house, all five members of the home began to hear unsettling scratching sounds. Not the sounds a mouse or even a rat would make either. It was impossible to identify the origin of the sound. Perhaps it came from inside the walls, perhaps it came from the attic, perhaps from the air around them. And although Virginia's family had lived in the home for years, they'd never heard these sounds before Virginia moved in. It would be easy to blame Virginia for being the source, but the noise didn't necessarily come from wherever she happened to be. Sometimes she'd be in the same room with everyone else, and that's when the family would hear the noise, and it seemed to come from some other area of the house. Sometimes she'd be in bed with Margaret, and it wouldn't sound like the noise came from anywhere inside their room. The only consistency with the noise was that the scratching was only heard at night. The family found the noise odd, it frightened the children, but Thomas and Isabella honestly didn't think a whole lot of it at first. They were busy with work and everything else that comes with trying to raise a young family, one now a bit larger than it was before. Also, initially, the scratching wasn't loud enough to really demand their attention. It was like a whisper. And you could only hear it when the house was quiet. Even then, you had to really listen. But then it got louder. Much louder. Night after night for several weeks, the sound of the scratching built in frequency, intensity, and volume. Eventually, it felt that as if any moment, a great and terrible beast might suddenly rip a hole in the floor, wall, or ceiling and come crashing into the room. And then for ten days in late 1960... Things would escalate far beyond the sounds of scratching. Tuesday, November 22nd, day one. Virginia and Margaret were trying to settle down to sleep when they both heard a new sound, a loud knocking that seemed to come from somewhere inside their room. It terrified them both. It sounded so deliberate, like something, and not something good, was trying to communicate with them. Something wanted to make its presence felt. Jumping out of bed, the girls started screaming as the sound grew louder and louder, like something awful was getting closer and closer to them. Virginia's aunt and uncle were sitting downstairs below the girls' room when the girls screamed. At this time, despite the girls claiming the knocking sound was incredibly loud, all they heard below was the sound of the girls screaming. Agitated and sleep-deprived, the girls had woken them up numerous times the past few nights when they'd gotten worked up over the scratching sounds. Thomas had had enough and walked to the bottom of the stairs and yelled, Quiet! 
When they complained that something was in their room with them, he shouted, It's just your imagination, girls! Go to sleep! <laughs> the girls tried their best to calm themselves down. Virginia didn't want to cause problems for the relatives who were kind enough to take her in and help her parents so much, but the ominous knocking continued. After a few more minutes, the girls were so terrified they no longer cared about getting in trouble, and they screamed again and ran downstairs. As they ran, they heard what they would later describe as the sound of a giant, invisible ball bouncing behind them. Like whatever was making the knocking sound was now physically in the room with them, chasing them. After calming the two girls down a little, they didn't get into trouble. Imagination or not, it was clear they were truly terrified. Thomas and Isabella sent them back to bed. And then when Thomas started to close the bedroom door behind himself, after tucking them both into bed and ensuring them all was well, the knocking began all over again, and this time, he heard it too. It was continuous. Boom! 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 Building louder and louder. Thomas ran in, taking a look around the room. It quickly became apparent that the noise was coming from the girl's headboard. It was smashing over and over against the wall. Boom! 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 How had he not heard that earlier? Isabella could hear it now as well and ran upstairs to investigate. Starting to get a little anxious themselves, Thomas and Isabella tried to find a logical source of the noise and grew scared themselves when they noted that both their girl's arms and Isabella's, or both the girl's arms, were under the covers. Their bodies weren't shifting back and forth in a way that would indicate they were trying to rock the bed back and forth to smash the headboard into the wall. They both agreed that there was absolutely no conceivable way the girls could have been moving the bed to make these noises. They moved the girls to another room for the night. And for a few moments, the noises stopped. But then, despite no one being in the original bed now, the knocking noise returned. It was a long night for everyone. The noises wouldn't stop until early the next morning, not until Virginia, curiously, fell asleep. Wednesday, November 23rd, day two. The family decided to keep Virginia home from school the next day. She was exhausted from barely getting any sleep, and she was still quite upset over the events of the night before. The day went by quietly until the family were all gathered in the sitting room in the early evening, shortly after the sun went down. Virginia sat in an armchair next to one of those long, narrow tables commonly called a sideboard. Suddenly, the energy in the room noticeably changed. It felt colder, but not temperature-wise. It was like the emotional atmosphere of the room grew cold. And the knocking started up again. It sounded like it was coming from within Virginia. Maybe somewhere directly near Virginia. And then as everyone turned to look at Virginia, the source of the noise, seemingly, the sideboard next to her chair began to slowly move away from her, move away from the wall on its own. Virginia was not touching it in any way. It was like watching a magic trick being performed, minus the magician. Astounded, the family watched as the sideboard moved roughly five inches on its own. Then it stopped for a few seconds, and then like some spirit wanted them to know it was there, and this was not some freak but natural occurrence, it gently moved back to its original position. Oh my god. And then the knocking stopped. Now, everyone was scared. Something paranormal had just clearly happened in front of them. Something paranormal had just been in the room with them, perhaps was still in the room with them. As the evening went on, after Thomas and Isabella made a few phone calls to some neighbors to try and wrap their heads around what was happening, had any of them also been experiencing seemingly paranormal events? Nothing. No one else had seen or heard anything. But a few recommended that they contact a local pastor, so that's what they did. And they didn't waste any time. They got his home number and called him immediately. And then Church of Scotland Reverend T.W. Lund responded quickly, arriving at the property just after midnight. And unlike so many of these stories, whatever was causing the disturbances didn't suddenly get quiet and shy and hide. Upon entering the now sleeping girl's bedroom, they were back in their original room now, 
Lund heard the knocking sounds himself. Then, like Thomas had done, he investigated the source of the noises and, like Thomas, quickly found that they were indeed coming from the headboard. But the headboard was now not knocking up against the wall to make that sound. The sound wasn't coming from one of the girls moving the bed. The Reverend asked Virginia, both girls were wide awake now, to move out of reach of the headboard to ensure she wasn't responsible in some way. Sure enough, the noises continued. And when Lund placed his hand on the headboard, he felt a curious vibration, almost like an electric current. He quickly pulled his hand away. He now worried about the origin of the noises. He worried that this was all the work of something demonic. By this point, Virginia had been extremely upset and was crying. And when the Reverend attempted to comfort her, a large linen chest at the foot of the bed now began to rock back and forth and shake on its own. What? Virginia now became hysterical. And the intensity of the paranormal activity seemed to match her emotions. The linen closet now with the entire family watching and this Reverend began to rise up off the floor... Still shaking, seemingly edging its way towards Virginia through the air as if it were made of metal and she was some sort of magnet. Margaret was now, or Virginia was now screaming. Everyone was afraid. Luckily, the closet stopped moving towards the girl and crashed back down onto the floor. Then, just as like the sideboard earlier, it slowly moved back to its original position. After calming the girls down a little, no one was going to fully calm them down quickly after what they just witnessed. The Reverend insisted the girls should get some sleep. <laughs> the girls tried to do as they were asked. Virginia settled down in the bed. Margaret rose from where she was sitting to join her. Then as soon as Margaret got into bed, the knocking started up again, louder than before. Both girls were now screaming again. And now the bed began to furiously shake with them in it. Lund now had Margaret get up and leave the room. And when the girls were separated, the noises and movement stopped. Margaret slept in her parents' bed that night. Somehow, Virginia was able to fall asleep in the bed that had just shook what? on its own. Thursday, November 24th, day three. Virginia is once again kept home from school. She's understandably stressed out, scared, and exhausted. Also, her father James has just arrived from Ireland after selling the farm. He'll also be staying with Thomas and Isabella until he and his wife can afford to properly set up their new place where Annie is staying. Whatever's been tormenting Virginia does not waste any time announcing its presence to her father. James quickly witnesses an apple rise up into the air out of the fruit bowl before slowly placing itself back down again as if it were attached to some string and slowly pulled up and then dropped back down. Except when he checked, of course there was no string. Then while still trying to process what he had just seen and what Isabella and Virginia have been telling him what they've seen and Margaret, he witnesses the sewing machine in the sitting room begin running all by itself. The girls see it too, more screaming, another call is placed to Reverend Lund. He again comes over almost immediately, and this time he brings a medical doctor with him, local general practitioner, Dr. Nisbet. They all gather in the girls' bedroom when it's time for them to go to bed and settle down and go to sleep, and the loud knockings return. They all hear it. Then everyone uh, present witnesses something else impossible. This night, when Virginia places her head down on her pillow, the pillow starts to rotate on its own accord under her head in a way that would be impossible for her to do on her own. Plus, her hands are not near the pillow. Virginia sits up, begins to cry uncontrollably. Before her father can reach her to comfort her, the bed cover begins to move on its own, rippling like a wave going up and down the bed. She jumps up, screaming into the arms of her father. At this moment, the linen chest starts to rock and shake again. Now its lid repeatedly bangs open and closed, open and closed. Once the activity subsides somewhat, the doctor, the reverend, the girls' uh, parents calm the girls down as best they can. They promise them they'll do everything in their power to help and rid the family of this spirit. Dr. Nesbitt also gives Virginia a sedative. It was the only way to calm her down after everything she'd been through. With Virginia sedated, the house falls silent for the night. Weird. Friday, November 25th, 1960, day four. 
After finally getting a night of rest, albeit a medicated one, Virginia feels good enough to go to school. She wants to go to school to get away from whatever has been happening in the house. Unfortunately, she will find no peace surrounded by her classmates. The poltergeist seems to have followed her. Mrs. Margaret Stewart taught the class Virginia attended over 40 students crammed into a room full of individual desks whose surfaces tilted up to allow students to store paper, pencils, books, assignments, etc. inside of them. Once Mrs. Stewart had gotten all the children settled into their work for the morning, she looked up from her desk and noticed Virginia looking as if she was in some sort of violent struggle with her own desk. Virginia seemed to be pushing down on the lid of the desk, had her knees pulled up tight underneath it, as if she was trying to force it to remain closed. Stop it, Virginia! Mrs. Stewart scolded, wondering just what in the world the child was trying to accomplish. She hadn't been told of what was happening in the girl's home. Virginia looked slightly flustered and a bit scared, and then she gently removed her arm from the top of the desk. As soon as she was no longer holding it shut, a loud crashing sound was heard by everyone in the room. Then all eyes were on Virginia as the top of her desk began to repeatedly slam open and shut. Bam! 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 There was a menace to all this, an anger felt by all in the room. It's not me! Virginia screamed as tears started to run down her cheeks. I don't know how to stop it! Mrs. Stewart, terrified now, looked on anxiously as Virginia stood up and backed away from the desk that continued to slam its uh, lid like a monster's mouth trying to bite, and the rest of the children ran screaming out of the room. Once the children had been rounded back up and calmed down somewhat, Mrs. Stewart took Virginia aside for a few minutes and asked her if she was okay. I'm not ill, miss, Virginia said and began to cry again. She told her teacher she wasn't sick, she was being plagued by a ghost that wanted everyone to think she was crazy. Mrs. Stewart was able to get Virginia to calm down enough to sit in her desk again, and then just minutes later, she witnesses something else incredible that defies conventional explanation. A girl who sat behind Virginia in class rose from her desk in order to ask Mrs. Stewart permission to take a book she'd borrowed back to the school library. And then Mrs. Stewart's jaw dropped in absolute amazement as the now unoccupied desk the girl was sitting in rose up into the air by itself. It soon catches the attention of the entire class as it floats through the air for several seconds before crashing down, uh, back down to the ground with a terrible bang. For the second time that day, terrified, screaming children flee the classroom. Saturday, November 26th, Sunday, November 27th, days 5 and 6. The intense day at school was never investigated by anyone because the headmaster didn't know what to do with what had been witnessed. He understandably didn't want to bring a lot of attention to events that were A, hard to believe, and B, would only further frighten the students. After that intense day, Virginia's weekend was thankfully relatively uneventful. The sounds of scratching were heard, some headboard knocking was heard, but at least nothing was moving around on its own. The most unusual event of the weekend occurred on Sunday night, when with the family gathered in the sitting room, Virginia went into a trance-like state, her eyes vacant, rocked gently back and forth, and cried out incoherently, and then as suddenly as the strange state fell over her, it was gone, and she had no memory of it. Monday, uh, November 28th, 1960, day seven. Virginia once again attends school and once again the poltergeist comes with her. Virginia approached her teacher's desk shortly after arriving in order to hand in an essay she'd written over the weekend. Mrs. Stewart's desk was in front of a very large chalkboard that had a little shelf at the bottom that held a cane she used to point at whatever she'd written. As soon as Virginia was standing in front of Mrs. Stewart, the cane began to vibrate. And Mrs. Stewart uh, turned around to look, the cane rose up off the shelf fell onto the floor. Whole class is now staring again at Virginia. Many of her classmates are now afraid of her. Then, still in awe over the moving cane, now Mrs. Stewart's large, heavy desk is witnessed by the entire class slowly rising up off the floor. 
The papers on her desk also rise up, separating themselves from the desk and floating on their own. Then, more incredible still, the desk begins to rotate in midair. Oh, my God. It starts to spin counterclockwise before everything suddenly falls back to the ground with a huge bang. For the third time now, the children run screaming for the door. Once again, Mrs. Stewart tries to comfort an absolutely distraught Virginia. Virginia, now on the edge of a full-on nervous breakdown, leaves school to go stay with her mom in the nearby town of Dollar. And the poltergeist follows her there. Oh. As soon as she arrives, her mother's place begins to shake with bangs and knocking. She stays there just three nights until Thursday morning, and then she returns to her aunt and uncle's house, where there was more of a support system to surround her with while her mom worked. The poltergeist activity follows her again and escalates. That night after sundown, when she returns, doors around the home begin to open and slam on their own. Reverend Lund is again called over to help, and this time he brings more help. Thursday, December 1st, day 10. Reverend Lund and three Church of Scotland ministers, or three other, along with Dr. Nisbet and fellow medical practitioner William Logan, all travel to Thomas and and Isabella's house to perform a divine intervention ceremony. While they repeatedly stressed this was not an exorcism, it seems as if that's exactly what it was, some form of exorcism at least. They brought with them audio and tape recorders, hoping to try and get some documentation of the activity. And according to numerous accounts, they were successful. The audio recorders picked up knocking and scratching sounds, along with a peculiar sawing noise, all of which seemed to originate from whatever room Virginia was in. During the 15-minute interventional ritual, they also caught on video Virginia uh, falling into into a trance and babbling incoherently. The audio footage from this was reportedly later broadcast on a local Scottish radio show called Scope. Unfortunately, this footage does not seem to have been publicly posted anywhere yet in the age of the internet. It was written about extensively in local papers, though, you can find online. According to Old Press, although Reverend Lund would provide very few details in limited interviews, he mostly just said he wanted to protect the privacy of the family and refused to comment, the divine intervention seems to have been successful. Virginia and her parents were soon all living in the same home again in Dollar. Virginia kept attending the same school making a good friend named Elizabeth, eventually joking with her about the poltergeist, who they named Wee Huey, for reasons that are not clear. The press hounded Virginia, her family, her neighbors, and classmates about the poltergeist for a long time afterwards. During the height of their curiosity, due to so many reporters waiting outside the gates of Virginia's school, her supportive classmates actually started to dress like Virginia (laughs) in order to to create decoys so Virginia could sneak home undetected. Many members of the press were not kind to Virginia. They implied she faked it all for attention, even though she certainly didn't want to be interviewed, and a huge number of witnesses adamantly told them she had no control over what had been witnessed. Dr. Nisbet, one of the many who came to her defense, was quoted in a local paper as saying, Virginia is not responsible for what has happened. The child is innocent. What has taken place was not conjured by the child herself. An outside agent is responsible. Believe me, something unfortunate has been going on in that house. The girl was hysterical all the time the phenomena was appearing. A number of classmates and Mrs. Stewart have uh, given interviews over the years regarding what they saw, most of them from the 1960s, and their stories line up. They they remain consistent over time with what you've heard today. Uh, Virginia and her family have remained silent. So why did all this happen? Mr. James Henderson, secretary of the uh, Alawa Spiritualist Church, said in December 2nd, in a December 2nd, 1960 interview with the Alawa Journal, Alla was just a few miles away from Saki. Uh, in my opinion, this little girl has certain unusual psychic qualities, and I am convinced that some person who has passed on is trying to communicate through her. And whoever this person is, if it is a person, they might still be trying to communicate. Virginia and her family moved away not long after all this happened. No one seems to know where they are today. The house her aunt and uncle lived in, where all this began, reportedly still haunted. 
Residents still hearing, according to one source, knocking and scratching sounds some 60 years later. And Scottish paranormal investigator Malcolm Robinson claims to have come upon three other households on the same street who also experienced regular poltergeist activity. Well, wow. I don't... Mm. And it, it, I will say on this, what's interesting about this story, yeah. it's, you know, it happened a long time ago. I'd never well, heard of it. that long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened like, yeah, like 60 years ago, yeah. whatever. So not like a crazy long time it's like ago. It's like my parents' age. Like, yeah, I was just going to, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say it happened a while ago. Um, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. I was making a point there. Uh, and I was just going to say there's a lot of documentation. I, yeah. I, I hadn't heard much uh, about this story. I had not heard this story at all. Nothing. This yeah. isn't familiar to me in any way. And so when it first popped up, um, I was a little bit like, well, how come there isn't more details about this if it was like all these witnesses? Yeah. But there was a lot of press. It's a really small kind of rural area. Uh-huh. And there was a lot of the local papers wrote a lot of stuff about this. Like there actually is. It's just um, not easily accessible. And but there's a lot of documentation from, you know, like the early 1960s. Like a lot you... of people were interviewed, like, you know, the, the teacher, or classmates, right. the doctor, or the reverend. He didn't give a lot of information, but the doctor did. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like if you went to this little town that mm-hmm. you would be able to gather more information? Like, is it just because it's a small town? Like, the, they haven't uploaded a backlog of newspaper articles to the internet? Or like, they, maybe they don't even have, like, an online newspaper? Uh, yeah. It's like w- a small... Like, I just think about where you grew up. It's right. like, you know, small... Yeah, and absolutely. ...limited access to things. And, and, and a, assuming that other people have a limited interest in yes. what happens in this town. There was um, that Malcolm Robinson. He did write a book, and, it, and it's like there's a good bibliography there. Mm. You know, like if you wanted to get more uh, interviews, sure, you could look him up, just Malcolm Robinson. He seems to be a fairly well-known Scottish paranormal investigator. Okay. And he, reading one of the articles he wrote, uh, he went to like, yeah, did go to the local library, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of like microfiche. That's what I was thinking. And microfilm. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He had to like, you know, where what they- did you call it? Micro what? Well, there's microfilm and there's F-I-C-H-E. There's microfiche. I can't What's remember. That? I just remember using both when huh. I was in college. And I only uh, know the one that's- Two different like, little machines. You know, right, yeah. That's microfilm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like where they archive old papers that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. It's so cool. I love that, actually. Yeah, he references... Ugh, I love libraries. Yeah, I know. They, it reminds me of those scenes you've seen a lot of a lot of horror movies that are maybe more period pieces that happen mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, in the past where somebody's trying to find out, like, what went on in the grounds mm-hmm. of their property. Yeah. And they go to the library and they're just like... Bzzz, and then it stops on some article. Right. They, or it happens in, like, a good spy movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I love libraries. He... Me too. He uh, apparently found a ton of old articles okay. from it sounds like and this is something that used to be more common in the states too like the age of newspapers is kind of dying as far as like mm-hmm. small town papers like mm-hmm. before the internet a lot of little towns would have even dailies like daily little papers oh, i mean not even small towns i grew up in cleveland and well of course cities would have them they have oh, a larger population oh. base but they, yeah sorry of course like and they still have them like cleveland will still have a paper yeah but like little towns you know all over uh gotcha i sorry yeah. i was thinking about that in reverse and in this area there's a ton of little towns that are like two miles away from one another uh-huh and it, and even though they're so close each of them had their own little papers oh, that is kind of their, interesting yeah. that it wasn't just like a communal sort of thing yeah i feel like at that time in the uk and this is speculating a little bit that even if like a couple little towns were all right next to each other, each of them still had their own identity mm-hmm. where it wasn't like in America where a lot of it just kind of bleeds from one to the next. And a lot of those uh, little towns all had their own daily papers yeah. and covered this pretty extensively. It, I want to say, I mean, it's not that I'm not freaked out, but just like the intensity of it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, taking a minute. And then like early on in the story, I don't know what happened. 
I, for a second, I thought the light bulb went out, but it didn't. There was like a weird flash of light back here, and I just couldn't stop staring. And I couldn't stop figuring out. I was like, okay, what could it be? What could it have? It was so bizarre. Huh. How, did you see that? I saw you looking at something, and I tried not to pull it from the story, but I could tell you were. I know something was freaking out. me out, and then like I had this moment where I thought I heard something in my ear. Like I know what Joe sounds like. Yeah. I know what it sounds like if something's happening outside the recording studio, but it wasn't that. It was, huh. and I was like, oh, funny, very funny, Joe. But <laughs> yeah. no, it was. I don't know. I got a, a lot of heebie-jeebies on that. Yeah, it was. It's a weird story. I mean, it is just weird. And then it just the, went the away. Teacher, yeah, then it just went away. With, like, yeah, exactly. Once they did that divine intervention yeah. kind of ceremony, it seems to have faded. They referenced, like, it, it sounds like it wasn't, like, immediate, but, like, there was a gradual weakening. No more moving objects. And then, like, the knocking sound just kind of faded away. Those moving objects, just the way that, like, if right now, all of a sudden, this cup just oh went like this. Oh, my God. And then went like this. And a big desk. I know. In front of, and the classmates were interviewed. And right. that's what's so interesting. Is there's a lot of eyewitnesses to the mm-hmm. story. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any pictures? You know what sucked is because a lot of that stuff is on microfilm or whatever. Oh, sure. And I, and I don't know what original pictures. I only have like one good one. So okay. this is a picture of Virginia Campbell, apparently the roughly the age oh, in which this story like happened. Oh, she's a cute little kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she described as like a, yeah, just a very like sweet little kid. I wonder what she's up to now. Yeah, well, that's what's interesting about this story, too. There's there's not a lot of pictures. There was, like, when I was trying to find other pictures, you can find pictures of the church that, you know, Reverend Lund was from. But I'm sure. like, well, but the church wasn't a setting for the story. Right. And then what was annoying is there was a variety of articles that, you know, referenced the house that the aunt and uncle lived in. Mm-hmm. But then the structure shown in the pictures, and this happens a lot in horror articles. Uh-huh. They just grab a stock photo. Yeah. Because I, I get it where they're like, okay, I'm just trying to write the story quickly. Right. And they're like, this looks scary. And they throw it. And so I just didn't feel good about any of the stories for sure being that house. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. There was a couple houses that were maybe, but again, it didn't it didn't seem like it was important enough to, to just to guess. And be like, maybe this is the house where it happened. Good on Virginia and her parents. Like they just, whatever, they moved out of that house. They, they, no they interviews, hardcore nothing. got the fuck out. Yep. And then that's it. It's just yep. over. So you don't know, like, is Virginia okay uh-huh. today? Is she uh, scarred by that? Like PTSD yeah. kind of stuff? Is she still haunted? I mean. And that, and that always makes me it. lean towards thinking it happened. When I know. When there's a lot of eyewitnesses who, who are speaking up on this person's behalf. Mm-hmm. Nope, I was there. I saw it. It wasn't yeah. her. Over and over and over again. Seen it in different locations. And then the person who supposedly was doing it for attention doesn't say shit. I know. Ever. And, and their family just goes away. It's like, well, then that doesn't make any sense that right. they were doing it for attention. Because then they could have, you know, like, think about Keith. Oh, Keith. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, you could yes. you could have made so much money. You could have written yeah. stories. You could I mean, right. even all these years Sorry, later. Keith was a story from one of the bonus episodes. If you're like, who the hell is oh, Keith? Oh, that's right. Sorry. That's okay. I yeah. forgot he appeared in a bonus episode. Yeah. He was. Keith in Seattle. Yes. Keith in Seattle. He's, he's something else. He was talking. Well, he is a new level of Darren. I got to tell you. <laughs> Keith is or like, a pathological liar. Keith is like a Darren yeah. 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but it's just, uh, sorry, now I lost my train sorry. of thought. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, well, you, well, you just, get it back. It's not just me. That's okay. It's lost. For, okay. Forever. 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 Um, <laughs> I could not find any pics, other pics of this story, but I did just, uh, I was like looking, looking, and I found this picture from the movie Poltergeist, the remake of 2015. I just wanted to share it with you. Okay. I Thank thought you. That, that's a good creepy clown they got there. Yeah. It is, and the shadows are just right. Mm-hmm. The face, like the head is too small for the body in uh-huh. some ways. And the knee is like kicked out the wrong direction. That's a good horror thing where like on the dolls where they're not proportional. Blech. It messes with your brain. That thing looks slightly human, like the size of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like that could be like a little child torso. 
Yep. That's that's a good that's how you make a good horror doll. You make it really human esque. Yeah. Just but, enough. but the angles aren't quite right, the proportions aren't quite right. It just yeah. disturbs your brain. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. This next story is very disturbing. Okay, yeah, you've been excited about this I've story been for so excited to tell it to you. I know this is how I know you're <laughs> it's pretty funny what happens in our house. Last yeah. night I was cooking dinner mm-hmm. and it was like, ugh. Cooking dinner last night was a mess because I didn't have the things we needed. So I was already in an annoyed state. And then you, I don't know, you you started talking like, oh, my God, I cannot wait to tell you this story tomorrow. And you start talking about it. And I just go, "Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm. I have no interest because I don't want to ruin it. I know. And then you're like, but you're like a inside. little. I know you're like a little kid. You're like, please let me tell you the secret. Please, I want to ruin the surprise. <laughs> it's true. It's so funny. <laughs> Heading a bit south towards London for a true tale of madness after a quick sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
Thanks for listening. Hopefully finding some good deals you're interested in. Creeps and papers. Woohoo. Now we're off to meet two twins who really, really seem to have lost their minds in the most peculiar way twins for a few kind days. Of, twins kind of freak me out in general. Oh, this is the weirdest twin story. Uh, do you know any twins? Uh, I've known twins in the past, but not currently. They're like a fucking unicorn to me. I don't know any <laughs> twins. I've met I- identical twins. You have? Mm-hmm. It is interesting to see how closely they resemble one another. There was, there was in college some identical twins. It's like, oh, wow, you guys really do look. These two dudes look oh. almost exactly alike. I, I don't know any twins. I don't think I've ever known twins. I find it to be bizarre. What is interesting about twins is there's a lot of speculation that they share a soul and that only like it's like split and they're they're broken somehow. Like they're like demonic just inherently. Oh. That makes sense. I just made that up. I know. Uh, the story of... Okay. so we're stupid. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you, take some, you take shots. You're yeah. not all going to be winners. <laughs> the, story, <laughs> the story of Sabina and Ursula Erickson has baffled those who've come across it since 2008. I immediately... Sorry. You say it's Sabina and Ursuline? Ursula. Ursula. Yeah, Ursula. I'm already thinking of the sea witch and the little mermaid. <laughs> okay. Uh, this story, extremely well documented, extremely disturbing. The most plausible explanation for what happened is itself extremely strange and troubling. The little understood and extremely rare psychological psychological phenomenon most commonly referred to as folly ado what is that it's a french term that means madness for two describes how two people can share the same delusion oh Mm -hmm. another definition is an identical or similar mental disorder affecting two or more individuals usually the members of a close family folly ado Mm -hmm. researchers still do not really understand this phenomenon uh they speculate that sometimes one person can essentially somehow pull another person into their delusion so that they both see the same madness. Mm. And I think how scary is that? Like, what if some poor suffering person you walk by on the sidewalk talking to someone or something you can't see could suddenly pull you into their twisted version of reality? To me, that's, you know, suddenly seeing what they see, believing what they believe. That's just as scary as the the possibility of seeing a ghost or a demon. Well, I have something to tell you. (laughs) Yeah? Welcome to my world. Oh, boy. It's like being horrified by what some cult member is telling you about one moment and then the next, thinking everything they're saying sounds fantastic and totally sane. Like, just just buying into yeah. the same madness. The no, scariest I... part to me about encountering some scary uh, paranormal entity is fear of losing my mind. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what happens with folly ado, also known as shared delusional disorder. Maybe in these rare, ca- rare cases, two people really do share a bizarre and alarming psychological event, or maybe there's more to it. Some paranormal researchers wonder if Ursula and Sabina Erickson shared something very different than a psychological disorder. What if they simultaneously experienced some type of possession, possibly demonic possession? The story will make you wonder. Okay. Time now for the tale of the peculiar madness of Ursula and Sabina Erickson. Prior to the summer of 2008, Ursula and Sabina appeared to be very normal women. There are no records of them doing anything out of the ordinary. Twins were born in Sweden uh, on November 3rd, 1967, growing up in Varmland with an older sister named Mona and an older brother named Bjorn. Investigations have revealed that this family has no documented history of mental health issues or criminal convictions prior to the events of today's story. By by the year 2000, when the women were in their early 20s, Ursula was living in the U.S., while Sabina was living in County Cork, Ireland with her partner and two children. Still, by all accounts, normal women living, living normal lives. And their lives, from what we know, remained normal all the way until May 16th, 2008, and then things changed dramatically. That Friday, Ursula traveled to Ireland to visit her sister, Sabina. Both are 40 years old at this point. They'd reached, uh, visited each other many times over the years, although an ocean separated them. The twins remained close like they'd always been. 
nothing strange is reported as ever happening during their previous get-togethers. This visit, of course, will be very different. For reasons that have never been disclosed, the twins secretly left Ireland the same day and then traveled to Liverpool, England. They had no connections in England anyone seems to be aware of, no known reason to be there. Things in England get weird immediately. After barely having made it to England, the twins head to a local police station and report that they're concerned about the safety of Sabina's children back in Ireland, children she just left a few hours before. Why ask authorities in Liverpool Liverpool to do this? Shouldn't they have called authorities back in Ireland? The local police call in a welfare check to Irish authorities, who soon report that Sabina's, Sabina's kids are fine. Why was she worried? No reports say. When the twins heard that Sabina's kids were okay, they got on a bus now headed to London. Heading there for a vacation? It doesn't seem so. They would never make it to London. During the trip, some of the other passengers and the driver witnessed what they referred to as strange behavior from the twins. Nothing incredibly specific is mentioned other than the women just seemed suspicious. Their behavior was erratic. Basically, they were weirding everyone else on the bus the fuck out. Then the twins asked the driver to stop because they weren't feeling well. The driver then makes an unplanned stop at a service station. In the service station, the manager also finds something about the twins troubling. He doesn't like the way they're looking at him, the way they tightly cling to their bags when they walk out of the store. He confronts them, asks them to search their bags, wondering if they've stolen something. Now they become combative. They uh, they want to get back on the bus, but now the driver also wants to search their bags. They're uh, not allowed to get back on the bus. The police are called. The police then do search their belongings, find nothing stolen or suspicious. Now they don't want to board the bus again, so they just start walking down the road. And not just any road. Sabina and Ursula decide to start walking along one of the busiest highways in all of England, the M6. This is not a road people walk down. It's basically a giant freeway. Later, people wonder why, even if the women were suffering from some shared psychosis, why would they choose this route? Why not choose something safer? Why didn't their animal instincts for self-preservation kick in? Could uh, some other force have been controlling them? The police, mind you, uh, had just talked to them, and they didn't seem to be high or mentally ill. But they do this. Uh, as revealed on close-circuit television cameras later, the pair began to walk down M6, and then they just carelessly, out of nowhere, walk out into traffic. Both of them. Oh, my God. Creates chaos, and then they uh, one of them quickly gets injured. Oh. Sab- Sabina is hit by a car. She's struck by a seat Leon, uh, a Spanish car similar to a Volkswagen Now highway agency officers quickly respond to the incident and police from the Central Motorway Police Group are called in to help. The police were also, thank God for storytelling purposes, accompanied by a small television crew who happened to be filming the long-running British television series Motorway Cops with the officers. Uh, To me, it looks like it's similar to the show Cops in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Footage shown on the news later that is now on YouTube that we'll watch later uh, reveals the police standing on the north side shoulder of the motorway being appraised of the accident involving Sabina, who somehow seems fine, even though she's got hit by a car. Okay. Uh, when without warning, Ursula breaks free of an officer she's talking to, runs back out into traffic, gets clipped by a Mercedes-Benz semi-truck. Oh, my God. Traveling down the road at about 55 miles an hour. What the fuck is happening? Sabina then runs back out into traffic again. Oh my God. And again gets hit by a car. This time she gets hit head on by a Volkswagen Polo uh, traveling even faster than 55 miles an hour. Bounces her off the fucking windshield. She gets thrown up into the air. Lands down on the road. Miraculously, somehow both will survive. Things get weirder still. The semi had crushed Ursula's legs. 
She's pretty badly hurt. Sabina, after getting bounced off a windshield, she's laying on the road completely unconscious. She'll be knocked out cold for 15 minutes. Paramedics attend to both of them as they wait for ambulances. Ursula, again, her legs are crushed, resists medical aid, spitting, scratching, screaming at those trying to help her. Ursula tells an officer trying to carefully restrain her, I recognize you. I know you're not real. Then Sabina wakes up out of nowhere and shouts, they're going to steal your organs. What? Oh, yeah. This is going to get so much weirder. To some, all of this registers as classic paranoid psychosis. To others, the hissing, spitting, and some swear animalistic noises the women make are signs of demonic possession. Sabina now, the woman who had just bounced off the windshield of a car traveling over 55 miles per hour, who was knocked out for 15 minutes, uh, the woman who has gotten hit by two different cars in the past 30 minutes, now stands up. She starts screaming for help, asks someone to call the police, even though the police are right in front of her. Then she hits an officer, punches him, sprints yet again into traffic. She goes on the other side of the motorway now. She incredibly is not run over for a third time. Officers restrain her with some help. The cops said that Sabina had superhuman strength. It required six people, police and motorists, to subdue and restrain this average-sized 40-year-old woman who had just been in two traffic accidents. Superhuman strength also believed to be a sign of possession. The police initially suspect that the two had made some kind of suicide pact or taken some kind of drugs or both. Some drugs like PCP can give you temporary bouts of superhuman strength. To everyone's later surprise, there would be no evidence that either of these two things had taken place, no drugs in their system, no evidence of any sort of suicide pact in a later investigation. Ursula now is taken to the hospital by helicopter like life flighted. Sabina is driven by ambulance. Somehow, after not sustaining any serious injuries, despite being hit by two cars... <laughs> After calming down and not talking anymore about people taking other people's organs, Sabina is released from the hospital five hours later into police custody. While in police custody, Sabina continues... Ursula is going to be in the hospital for a while. Well, yeah. Uh, Sabina continues to creep everyone the fuck out. She's way too relaxed considering what she'd just been through. Something feels... Excuse me. Something feels really off with the way she looks at everyone and carries herself. While being processed, she tells an officer, We say in Sweden that an accident rarely comes alone. Usually at least one more follows, maybe two. What the hell did she mean by that? No one knows. But it's creepy considering what's going to happen later. Premonitions, some authorities on demonic possession say, also a classic sign of demonic possession. Now, three days after the twins left Ireland on May 19th, 2008, Sabina is released from custody without undergoing a psychiatric evaluation. Despite how odd she seemed, no one seems to think she's mentally ill. She pleads guilty to the charges of trespass on the motorway and hitting a police officer. The court sentences her to just one day in custody, which she's already served, and she's free to go. Now the story gets so much weirder uh, and a lot darker. Leaving court, Sabina does not con contact any friends or family. She doesn't check in on her kids back in Ireland she was so worried about the other day. Doesn't head back to Ireland or go to see her sister in the hospital. No one comes to visit her. Instead, she just starts wandering down the streets of Stoke-on-Trent, the city where she'd been released from jail, carrying her possessions in a clear plastic bag she'd gotten plastic bag she'd gotten from the police station wearing her sister's green top she's spotted around 7 p.m by two local men one of them is 54 year old glenn hollinshed a welder paramedic and royal air force veteran sabina appears friendly quickly strikes up a conversation with the two men she pets glenn's dog makes a little chit chat she seems normal at first although glenn does ask her if she's okay she does appear a little bit nervous Sabina then asks the two men for directions to a nearby bed and breakfast or hotel, and taking pity on her, or perhaps romantically interested, Glenn offers to take her back to his house mm -hmm. uh -huh, on Duke Street. That's what I thought. Back at the house over drinks, she starts acting really strange again. She constantly gets up, looks out the window, leading the men to assume that maybe she'd run away from some abusive partner. 
Shortly before midnight, the friend leaves. Sabina stays the night with Glenn. What happened that night? We'll never know. Just use your imagination. The next day around midday, Glenn called his brother to ask about local hospitals so he could help Sabina locate her sister. Why didn't she already know where her sister was? Why didn't she ask the police where her sister had been taken? Sabina then spends the day with Glenn. She doesn't contact any family members, doesn't go to visit her sister. Early that evening, around 7.40 p.m., Glenn asks a neighbor for some tea bags. In the middle of washing his car, the neighbor tells him he'll bring a few bags over when he's finished. And then roughly a minute later, Glenn staggers back outside, bleeding profusely. Oh my God. He tells his neighbor, she stabbed me. He's been stabbed multiple times in the past minute. He collapses, quickly bleeding out and dying in (gasps) front of his neighbor. When the neighbor then runs into Glenn's house looking for his attacker, Sabina is nowhere to be found. She's already fled. Things now, as hard as this might be to believe, get weirder still. After stabbing Glenn, Sabina runs out of the house holding a hammer. As she runs down the street, she begins to periodically smash herself in the head with the hammer. A passing motorist who sees this happening pulls over, runs Sabina down, tries to take the hammer away from her. She lashes out, hits him with a sharp piece of roof tile she'd had hidden in her pocket for God knows what reason. While she squares off with his passing motorist still holding the hammer, this person just wanted to help her, paramedics show up. She runs again, sprinting away from the EMTs, bleeding from her self-inflicted hammer wounds. She runs to and then jumps the fuck off of a (gasps) 40-foot-high bridge over the A50 highway, breaking both ankles, fracturing her skull when she hits the ground below. She is somehow still alive. Her injury somehow still not life-threatening. The resulting trial will only lead to more questions, no answers. Sabina will plead guilty to manslaughter with diminished responsibility, essentially an insanity plea. On September 2nd, 2009, having stabbed Glenn Hollinshed five times with a kitchen knife, she's ruled as not insane currently, but insane when she committed the crime. Mm-hmm. She's sentenced to five years in prison. During her, incarcer- car- yeah. During her incarceration, Sabina never told anyone why her and her sister were in England. What had happened on the day of the, the M6 incident? What happened with Glenn Hollinshed? Why she hit herself in the head with a hammer, jumped off a bridge? Nothing. She was released from prison in 2011, has since completely vanished from the public eye. Uh-uh. No one has any idea where her sister Ursula is either, and no one in the family is talking about it. Hopefully, whatever was influencing these two or possessing them vanished with them. They're both just gone? Just, pff, gone. What the fuck? This is the weirdest story. I can't even believe that the two of them survived all of that. I know. Sabina, it's like she was like the bionic woman. I know. I was thinking that in my head the whole time. Oh, my God. She gets hit on the freeway by two cars. Yeah, and not like at a, you know, oh, going through a parking lot five miles per hour. No. She gets fucking smashed by cars. Yeah, she gets clipped by the first one. So, okay. She gets a fast-moving car. Oh, my God. It's going to hurt. Right. going to hurt. Somehow still okay. Bounced off the windshield. Like, she got launched by the second one and then somehow still gets up. And then it's like, fine, a couple hours later, gets released into police custody, and then, like, just wanders down the street after that, after, and all these people, the different groups of officers had talked to her. No one seems to think, like, oh, yeah, we got to hold this person, because they're, like, out of their mind. I I couldn't believe that after striking a police officer. Right. That, oh, it's like, it's a little slap on the wrist, you're fine. Yep. And then what? And then seems fine when those two guys, Glenn, uh, the other guy's names on the Internet. I didn't include the story, but the other guy who met Sabina with him. Yeah. You know, it's like he was able to provide fill in some holes about like Glenn and his impressions of her when they saw her, Mm, which was. Yeah. She seemed a little bit nervous, but not not insane. Right. Right. Not high. 
nothing. I mean, just like went to this normal and then murders that guy. Yeah, I know. Then randomly is hitting herself in the head with a hammer and then throws herself off a bridge. It's just. Can you fucking imagine seeing that? You're just driving down Coeur d'Alene Boulevard and you just right. see somebody just fucking. Oh, my God. That is crazy town. And then uh, no record of like a, attempted suicide in prison or anything. So it's like what's so yeah, weird so what about the story. What happened for time in prison? Like, is she a. Well, what's so weird about the story is from every, it's hard to find a lot of peripheral details, but from everything you gather, it's like these women, no problems whatsoever before this couple day chunk of time. Right, right. And then went real crazy for a couple days and then just went back to being fine. Ursula got well, released from the hospital. She was in the hospital for like two months, I believe. It was roughly two months. I know that. And then, you know, went back to the States. But like, but there's, oh, wait, she went back to the States? You said we don't know where they are. Well, she's from the States in the, I assume. I assume she. Re- I don't know that actually. You I don't, don't know that. I don't know that. I know. I know she was released from the hospital. You're right. I don't know that. I, she was living in the states before right. that. You would think that she so went I'm back. So I'm assuming. But, correct. Yeah, but if she was single with no partner, no kids to go back to, and since we don't know where either one of these fuckers are, <laughs> I know it's the weirdest story. It's so weird because I also am creeped out by the fact that like you could just run into them. Oh, they could yeah, just well, be out there and they could just lose their mind. I have a mugshot. Um, oh, I, boy. Okay, some interesting pictures and then a, a video. And so the video... This is so fucking weird. Yeah, the, and, and the video makes it even creepier. Okay, okay, uh, okay. The, the pictures here, you can find these on our Instagram and, you know, Facebook, Scared to Death Podcast. The video, uh, I'm not sure where we're going to put that right now, You, but if you just go on YouTube and just put Sabina and Ursula Erickson, it's one of the first ones that comes up. Okay. It's okay. So, so first the pictures. This first one is Ursula starting to run into traffic. Oh my god! So the sister got her leg smashed. This next one is Sabina after her first arrest. After she's you know taken in for processing. Okay. This next one is the Sabina mugshot after she was charged with murder following her recovery from you know throwing herself. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's another uh, photo of Sabina after her first arrest. Okay. I messed up. And then this next one is the mugshot. After her recovery from jumping off a bridge. <laughs> she looks intense. She looks intense. Well, she's been through some shit. Yeah. She, looks, she looks like a hard, like a hardened person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what went on there? And then, okay, so here's this footage. And was, no drugs in their system? Are they sure? The toxicology reports came back negative. I mean, there's definitely speculation on the internet that maybe the 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 test they were given didn't test for the right kind of like bath salt mm-hmm. type drugs or something. Mm-hmm. But what's weird is like even okay, I mean, I guess but then why would they go missing? Then why would yeah? And also, if the drugs were still in her system and she was so erratic that she was hammered to the head, murder kind of crazy, right? Wouldn't the police have noticed something off with her? Like, there's no, I don't know, it's I don't so know. weird. But look, but look at this, look at this footage here. Okay, so this is right after the uh, officer who said call. See, she runs out of traffic there. She's, whoop, she's gone. Boom. That's the truck that hit her, and then look at her sister go next, in the, in the red there. Ursula runs, Sabina's standing there, and she's like, you know what, I'm going to run out in the traffic too. Christ, have oh you ever seen that God. before? Oh, that's a first. Yeah, I'm me. What the hell were they running And they for? cut forward time-wise. You'll see how, how combative she is. Both females have run out into the carriageway. That's the first Ursula. female has been hit by HGV in lane two, serious injury. Second female has been hit by a small vehicle in lane one. Got two serious casualties. We're gonna need air arms over. We're policemen of we're here to help. Her legs are crushed right now. 
stay still, boys. Stay still. Right, she's got a complete fracture. What is it? Right leg. Are they Irish? Swedish. Swedish. No, come on, my love. Come on, you hit your head. Calm down. We are the police. We are the police. Calm down. Calm down. No, you're hurt. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Mine's very aggressive, spitting at me. She is very badly injured. I don't know what's going on. You're hurt. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. You're hurt. Calm down. And now that's okay. Now Sabina's getting up. Stay, stay, after stay. Those two accents. Have they got a collar or something they can stick on her? They're in their own world. Right, don't get going anywhere, okay? Just chill, chill, okay? It's okay, my love. I'm trying to make sure you're okay. Right. Where's Paul? Oh, shit. Where's Paul? Yeah, just stands up. Stay. Oh, my God. Stay. Okay. And then she's off and has to get run down. Oh my god. Yeah, okay. Isn't that crazy? So like when she struck that officer, I mean that was after two acts, serious acts. That's after she'd been unconscious for 15 minutes. That is insane. Fights that officer off. You're going to take my organs. Yeah, they're going to take your organs. What? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that just the wildest story? And I, and I would just, I wouldn't include it if it seems more obviously drugs or more obviously mental illness. But what's so weird about it with all the sources is that there's no history of anything. They no, have they seem this, like two completely normal, regular people. I mean, I don't know what their childhoods uh, were like, but I mean, it doesn't seem like they're, I don't know. It's a story that has confused basically everyone who's come across it. There's Vice articles, there's crazy YouTube videos, there's all different kinds of, you know, like, paranormal-type yeah. websites that, you know, uh, that have uh, explored it. Where and are they now? No, no one knows. Oh. What if you just see them, like, scoping out houses in our neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, especially the two of them together, those oh, you know, twins. Oh, fuck no. Nope, don't move here, please. No, thank you. It's just so crazy. Also, I thought it was interesting that they checked on Sabina's kids. Yes, like, in Ireland, yeah. So to me, that initially, I was like, okay, that registers as suicide attempt. Because oftentimes, someone mm. who wants to or is planning on committing suicide wants to make all make sure all their ducks are in a row first. Oh, and that everything that. is okay. And that, like, you know, their kids are, in this instance, they would want to ensure that their children were somewhere safe. Right. Where when they get the news, they'll be comforted or, you know, like that kind of thing. So I, I kind of started to go that way where I thought, yeah. like, okay, but but the... The superhuman strength and just the fact that they're just fucking missing right now, that they are just MIA, that throws me hard. Well, yeah, what they don't want to talk about it. Well, their family's not talking about it. They, I mean, mm-hmm. Sabina has kids who, mm-hmm. I mean, it's fucking 2021. They could be all over social media talking about this or uh, they could start a social media campaign. Where's my mom? Like, I mean, well, they might not. They might. They might know where their mom is. But they might not be talking to the press about no, no, that. No, I, I get that, but yeah. I'm just thinking about like kids these days. Oh, sure. But sure. like that's a that's a big ask to ask your children to just never mention it again. There's no way they're going to tell uh-huh. some friend along the way, and somebody's going to spill the beans. It always happens. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that somebody hasn't tracked them down because there's, you know, a fair amount of interest still in like what went on there. Yeah, like, are you okay? <laughs> right. I mean, they, do you know what happened? Were you yeah. in, were you secretly in some cult? Because sometimes mm. I think in these instances, that's interesting. There yeah. is something going on, like. 
people keep secrets all the time. Mm-hmm. People sometimes live like double lives. And, you know, yeah. if people who travel for work have, you know, a wife over here and a wife over, you know, I mean, they do these like Was weird this cult things. ritual or something. Right. So were they both involved in something that overtook their lives, but they kept, well, it sounds like um, Ursula was single and then Sabina. Yeah, so that's, what it, that's what the article's alluded to yeah yeah Yeah. and then sabina had a long-term partner and Mm -hmm. kids Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that she couldn't have had a secret life or something that she was involved in that like but also if you if you really wanted to die Mm -hmm. or or like that was part of the thing it's like I, i then okay you keep running into traffic but you could also commit suicide a variety of other ways so, right. so I don't know that suicide was the intention because feel like there are more direct paths to that. I don't, it's just right. so fucking weird, man. Mm-hmm. Super, super weird. Now you understand why I wanted to share it so badly. Yes. Well, because I feel like I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> yeah, like, so what about this? What about that? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Yeah. Oh, now I want to go back and learn more. Fascinating, Dan. There is, a, and I, I feel bad. I can't remember the name of it right now, but there is, if you just look into them, if you just Google Sabina and Ursula Erickson, uh, and you put um, documentary, maybe add folly, folly adieu, uh, th- somebody made – it wasn't rated very well. It's probably why okay. I didn't include it. But there is a hour-long – I think it's a documentary. There's definitely a book that on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, there, that's right. Yeah, they did both. There's a documentary and there's a book. Okay. Neither rated very well. I, when I looked at the reviews – it sounded like no answers are given. It's just going right. to, you know, kind of rehash what we went over here. But maybe there's something we didn't share that you could find. Well, and that's the other, like, element, too, just thinking about the first story and the second story. Yeah. Both families would have the opportunity to make a lot of money mm. if they wanted to, like, sell the rights for a movie, yeah, for, write yeah. a book, for interviews, for Oprah. Like, you know, all those things that can be offered to you when you have a really compelling, interesting story. Mm-hmm. And the fact that everyone in both of these stories is just silent. They just wanted to distance themselves from it. Yeah, it's weird that both of your stories just ended up in yep. nothing, mm-hmm. which I know you love that. Not, there's not many of us that do, but um, <laughs> well, it's like what, your what? new favorite way to tell a story, no resolution. Well, if this was just a I'm story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm teasing. Calm down. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you got some squish? I do. Uh, I don't. Actually. <gasps> hmm. There's a squishy cat head behind you. Oh, there we go. Oh, my gosh. We were coming in in a little bit of a rush. We have a, a full day. I'm sorry. I forgot to Layla you. Oh, no. That's okay. I got, okay. I got, yeah, I'll squishy squish cat. it up. Oh, squishy cat. Okay. So, like I said, we were going to go back to Su- to Savannah, okay. which, you know, everyone says is like one of the most haunted mm-hmm. cities in America. And um, Savannah and Nola. Yeah. I've been feeling so brave lately. I'm like, okay. I, I love scary stuff. Ooh, good. I know. Because, you know, you kind of go through waves. We've mm-hmm. talked about this. For a while, you were... More skeptical and then less skeptical. Yeah, I'm less and, skeptical now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, I was super hardcore peeper. And I I don't know, seeing Quiet Place 2, I don't know, I've like made some weird inner peace with some creepy stuff. Nice. I'll get one really good scare and that will completely change again. <laughs> but uh, I like it. I'll take mm-hmm. it for now. I'm into it. And I just think that when we live in NOLA, we're probably going to have to take some trips to Savannah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's a beautiful city. I've never been, but I bet I would love it. I bet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think about ghost tours? Do you think that they are like, fabricated? I think, l- like any of the stuff in this world, I think that the uh, a lot of them are probably fabricated and or exaggerated. Yeah, but there's elements of truth within them. I think. Yeah. You know, it, I'm sure it varies a lot from tour to tour. Yeah, yeah. I know to me it feels like just a written script. It's like mm-hmm. they've hired some 25 year old or you know younger than that, maybe home from college for yeah. the summer and. 
but again, steeped in some sense of truth. Yeah, there's going to be some good ones out there. I, I've thought back about the one we did in like New Orleans. Uh-huh. And if I went on that now, I'd be like, get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Sometimes it's just very much like, okay, you, you were given a script. Mm. You don't actually care about this. And you're just going to regurgitate like, here's three possible scary things about this building and right. moving along. And I feel like if you were to ask them like, yeah, but what happened? Like, where did that come from? I don't know, buddy. I'm just getting paid to keep it yeah. moving. You know? I feel like for a good, like, quote unquote, ghost tour, you would mm-hmm. need somebody who either dabbles in the occult or is very mm-hmm. familiar with it, yeah. who lives there, yeah. who has maybe experienced a few things that they could give you a more authentic view yeah, on Yeah, you want it. a believer, ideally. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think, think so. so. Okay, well, um, our fan here, Melissa, has a great story while she has an, uh, an encounter with a potentially very angry ghost down in Savannah. Okay. All right. Dearest Countess of Crystals, High Priestess of the Peeps, and Suckmaster, Chieftain of Nimrod's Nipple Flickers. <laughs> Thank you. That is so good. I'm a massive fan of all things bad magic. Thank you. And cannot thank you and your team enough for the work you do, as well as the community you have created. I'm proud to be a part of it, and I recruit new listeners at every opportunity. That's nice. Thank you. I know. My story is a bit long, but I assure you, worth the read. From growing up in a home where the original owner continued to appear in the basement for decades after she died, to predicting my great-grandmother's death in a dream just hours before it happened, to living in a house where I was physically assaulted by an unseen presence, I've had a lifelong connection to the paranormal and unexplained. It's not hyperbole when I say I've seen some shit. (laughs) After listening to the Hold Him Down episode, Mm. I knew I had to send in my personal experience with the city of Savannah. In the late summer of 2019, I went to Savannah on my own for a much-needed mini-vacation. I found the Marshall House on several Most Haunted Hotels lists, and my inner creep was immediately drawn to its beauty and complicated history. While staying there, I didn't experience anything overtly paranormal, although I did hear children in the hallway several times during the night, and my closet door would not stay closed, no matter how many times I shut the door and heard the latch click, all of which could easily be discounted as typical hotel issues. No, the real scares for me came from my nights and not from my nights in a reportedly haunted hotel, but from a stately home a few blocks away. On my first night in town, I went on one of Savannah's many ghost tours. We saw a number of paranormal hotspots, including 432 Abercorn, the Mercer House, where Jim Williams' sister still lives, and the infamous Colonial Park Cemetery, site of the famous Ghost Boy video. At one point, we stopped in front of a beautiful home on Harris Street, the Sorrel Weed House. The tour guide gave us a brief summary of the home's history, which dated back to the Revolutionary War. It was a compelling mixture of tragedy, terror, and beauty. The lady of the house, Matilda Moxley Sorrell, had leapt to her death from the roof, supposedly after discovering her husband in bed with one of their slaves. And according to the legend, the slave then hung herself in the slave quarters above the carriage house. As we walked past the side of the house, I could hear their night tour beginning in the courtyard and glanced up at the house itself. A woman in a period dress was looking out from the window of the first of one of the first floor rooms. She was looking right at me, and judging Uh. by the expression in her face, she was pissed. My first thought was that this was an employee working on the nighttime tour who just really, really didn't want to be there. But I could feel the anger radiating off this woman, and it was definitely more than someone just having a bad day. I began to feel very uneasy. I looked back towards the front of my group for just a moment, and when I looked back to the window, she was gone. 
I barely slept that night. Every time I closed my eyes, I saw that woman's face and the seething rage in her eyes. The next day, I went back and bought tickets to both their daytime historical tour and the nighttime ghost walk. I wanted to prove to myself that it wasn't anything spoopy, just an employee with a world-class case of resting bitch face. (laughs) When no one else showed up for that morning's tour, the guide, I'll call her Amy, and I set off just the two of us. Amy was extremely candid, debunking some of the widely circulated stories about the family and their ghosts, but also stating that she herself had experienced enough activity in the house to be unwilling to spend any time there alone. Thinking back to the woman in the window, I asked Amy whether they made the guides dress up in costumes for the night tour or if they had or if they had just had costume actors in the house. She stopped walking, stared at me, confused. We don't make anyone dress up. Ever, she said. Why do you ask? I told Amy what I had seen the previous evening, and as we rounded the corner and walked into what appeared to be a library, my eyes locked onto a painting on the opposite wall, and I was left speechless. It was her. The woman in the window was Matilda Moxley Sorrell. In the window, she had looked as real and solid as a living person, but this portrait indicated she had been dead for nearly 160 years. What in the actual fuck? I started to feel a little lightheaded, and we decided to cross the hall into the larger parlor area. Once in the parlor, Amy began to tell me her theories about the legend and what might have led Matilda to take her own life. At the mention of suicide, there was a loud thump on the ceiling in the opposite corner of the room. We looked at each other and went silent. Matilda? Amy asked, her voice shaking with uncertainty. Thump! Thump! Do you want me to stop talking about this? Just then we heard a hissing sound from a different corner in the room, followed by another thump! Thump! There was a freezing rush of cold air in the space between us, and we were both rooted out of our spots, our eyes wide open with fear. For a moment, nothing happened. Is it okay for me to continue? Amy asked aloud. Immediately, there was a vicious thump, thump on the wall directly behind us. Whatever was doing this was circling us. Amy looked at me and kind of whisper shouted, Do you want to finish this outside? <laughs> Let's finish this outside. She was clearly terrified and starting to panic. It was time to get the fuck out. We half ran, half walked to the front door with thumping and scraping sounds seemingly closing Mm -hmm. in behind us. Amy closed the door with a little more force than was probably necessary, and we both tried to catch our breath now that we were in the safety of the sunlight. She was the first one to break the silence. When did you say you were coming back for that ghost walk? Tonight? I nodded, my chest tight and a knot forming in my stomach. I wouldn't come back if I were you, but if you do... Good luck, my friend. I couldn't help but wonder what I might have done to provoke such an aggression. Amy suggested it might just be a case of mistaken identity or even the result of disrespectful behavior from guests the night before. She said, the dead have moods just like the living. If a group is particularly rude, we deal with sort of temper tantrum-like episodes for days afterwards. Determined to face my fears and in a moment of pure darrenness, I did go back to the night tour (laughs) and absolutely nothing happened. So maybe there's something to be said for the idea of safety in numbers. I still see Matilda's face in my dreams sometimes, and in almost two full years later, I still can't bring myself to look at the pictures I took in that house for fear of who or what I might see. Thanks for sharing my story and giving creeps like me a place to feel welcome. Uh, Stay spooky, y'all. Melissa. Melissa, thank you. That's a story. That house that she went on the tour? Yeah. I've come so close to uh, doing a story about that. Do um, it. I said so many times. There's so much 
there's so many sightings in that house. It, it, it is, I think, like uh, the Sorrel Weed House. Yeah, the Sorrel Weed House, and that whole story of Matilda and the the wife of the owner, and then the you know mitri- mistress. You know, the, there, it's, it's a little delicate where you know the the, the mistress was also enslaved. Yeah, and so how willing was she? There, there's a lot of like um, writing about like. Was she interested in him at all? Right. Was it was she a mistress or was she more or less a sex slave? Correct. You yeah. know, and then like how actually extra, not more or less was she? Yeah. How, hey, how extra tragic for her on that side? Mm-hmm. So there's some kind of delicate stuff with that story, but there has been a lot of sightings of the ghost of either the wife mm-hmm. or her. You know, by many many people over the years, yeah. and you go on like ghost forums if you kind of like do a search. You know, within the forum of you know that house. Yeah, it seems like stuff always comes up, but uh, heavy. A lot of sightings, a lot right. of sightings, and, and a lot of stuff like that, too, where it's a lot of, like, face in the window, Ugh. or, like, it's not just um, the sounds that she heard, Yeah, which, you know, you get a lot of reports of that, too, but I think it's uh, definitely more rare when people seem to see a, a specter, actually, mm-hmm. like a physical presence, you know, moving across the room or right. looking at them through a window. Yeah, that house supposedly has all kinds of activity. Well, maybe we'll do the tour someday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, I would just like to say that, you know... Of course, it's haunted because horrible things happened there. And I feel like... You know what's interesting, though? Ghosts tend to exist in more tragic situations. I'm starting to wonder if it has to be like this combo thing. Okay. Because there, if you, you know, the farther you go back, history-wise, so many places have been the sites of like immeasurable tragedy. That's true. Like there are some places, especially I think about like in, in Europe and Asia, mm-hmm. where there has been the craziest, bloodiest battles that may have happened, you know, like a thousand years ago. Right, right. But so much torture and death. Mm-hmm. And like, especially like in Europe with all like the, the witch burnings mm-hmm. and, and like the Colosseum, for example. Right, The Colosseum right. alone, so many people brutally murdered in this one place that's still right there. Mm-hmm. True. So I wonder if, it's, if it has to be like this combination of tragedy plus there's just something in the ground. There's something, some presence already there. Mm-hmm. Something about portal. that spot that like keeps things there. Some sort of portal. Negative. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, because like, when I think about it from the plantation side of it, mm-hmm. slavery was just so awful. Oh, yeah. And, and particularly plantation slavery. Yes, it was a particular... And the annals of slavery supposed to be like the worst of the worst. Right, exactly. It was... Yeah. It, there was no worse kind of slavery at yeah. that time. And I would... If I had been enslaved there, I'd be fucking pissed and I would come back. Sure. As, I mean, I think, like, you know, right. if you can make those kinds of decisions, um, you know, and just, yeah, so brutal, so angry, um, so wrong, unfortunate, yeah. all, all the adjectives. And it's just... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if every plantation is haunted. I yeah. really wouldn't, you know? Well, and be- I wanna- because it's, it's a f- I often wonder when it comes to plantation owners, I mean, never going to get this answer, but at some point, did they start to regret what they were doing? Did they? Some did. You know? Historically, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but did more of them know morally what they were doing was so wrong? And so is it this combination of like a tortured soul that was uh, the soul of someone who themselves was tortured in real life mm-hmm. and then a different kind of emotional torture of like mm-hmm. you know so in this situation you know this wife this woman she is devastated to find out that her husband is having an affair whether forced or otherwise yeah you know so she's and then who knows like maybe she didn't believe in what they were doing there so if she's emotionally tortured and so she's just sort of trapped like wants repentance maybe they're super religious which would yeah. make sense for the time as well so she committed suicide, which is against religion. Like, I don't know. I think that the mm-hmm. the the magic juice in the hauntings is some need to, like, 
repent or fix things or explain things. Like there's, you have a mission. I don't think mm. you're just there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting that like, I wonder if we didn't know the history, if no one knew the history mm. of that house, how much, like, I wonder how much the energy really? is tied to the people who go there too, which is just as, it's just a different type of paranormal. Yeah, yeah. Because I think about that uh, too, like, well, tying things back to the first story with Virginia Campbell. Yeah. You know, this girl, a lot of times poltergeist activity is tied to an adolescent, a troubled, mm-hmm. uh, an, an adolescent going through some type of emotional turmoil. Mm-hmm. It's equally interesting to me if they're just somehow projecting sounds and movement and like levitating objects. What do they call that? Like a uh, telepathy almost mm-hmm. or no t- telekinesis. I think when you can, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. If, if there's like that being able to happen is equally interesting to me as the possibility of a, a ghost or spirit making yeah. things. I don't know. It's also interesting. Something's going on. Yeah. Well, I think that like what, what I hear you coming around to the idea of is that we are all an energy and we're constantly giving off an energy and the earth is an energy and there is an exchange between our energy and the energy of the past and the future mm-hmm. and the present like it is this you know big like ball some of web th- we're all in yeah yeah i mean and it would make sense right i mean we would just saw friends and he's a firefighter and we were mm-hmm. talking about you know fire seasons and they're particularly bad now and global warming like you know we're kind of having this conversation you know worried about his safety yada 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 and he said he's like well you know i mean it's like mother nature trying to clear crap out mm-hmm. and, i mean the earth is a living thing and it will clear things out so like if that energy it's that same like exchange to mm-hmm. me it's all one interconnected thing it's pretty spiritual it's pretty beautiful mm-hmm. it is yeah Okay, well, now that we've had that deep talk, <laughs> uh, since we started in the South, I figured we'd stay in the South, except yeah. like I'm bad at geography, so North Carolina doesn't feel like the South for me. Yeah. Like I want the South to be like down here. Sure, sure, yeah, Which, North I mean, Carolina. It is, but it's like a little, but I could, people still think of it as the South. Oh, for sure, North yeah. Carolina's the South. Yeah, I know, mm-hmm. but it's just not obvious to me. I'm trying to picture on the map now just without looking at something and not knowing you were going to say that. I, I, I want to say North Carolina's right below Virginia. Which is the top of the South? I, th- but it, but it kind of I don't know what I don't know, I don't know. that whole little some... section over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But anyway, so we have another haunted house uh, that starts off like maybe like a friendly, playful kind of yeah. like a ghost you would want into something that is no, thank you. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a little uh, bait and switch. It okay. feels like. Hello, Master Suckerton and the <laughs> Honorable Lady of the Spoops. <laughs> I feel like I need to write to you and tell you about the house I lived in in North Carolina. The house was not old. We were only the third owners. The land that it was built on was old plantation farmland. That is as much as I could find out about the place. And I will jump and I will jump right into what happened for the first five years I lived there. I was introduced to the other residents right away. It started out easy to explain away the quiet whisper as I walked out the door, the small movement out of the corner of my eye. A lingering smell of cigarette smoke in the hallway, even Mm. though myself nor my ex-husband smoked. I started paying closer attention when my son started talking to someone, saying goodnight and good morning to no one I could see at all. Once Once I recognized what was going on, I took the time to really listen to the whispers. It was two men talking about where they were from. One was from Tennessee and the other from Georgia. A female would laugh. A small child would giggle on occasion. Things began to escalate as my ex and I's relationship started to dwindle. I started to see some of these guests in addition to hearing them. I was working away in the kitchen one day when I heard the giggle of a child. I glanced into my son's playroom and saw a child duck behind the corner of the door, hiding the way only little kids can. 
I quietly stopped what I was doing and turned around and went quickly towards the room. I swiftly entered the room and looked around the corner saying, I see you, expecting to see my son. But there was nothing there. Puzzled, I looked around and called out for my son. He called back to me from his room at the other end of the house. Uh... It was then that I realized that the child I had seen was a little girl. I stood there for a moment looking around, then went back to what I was doing, choosing to ignore what I decided was only my imagination. About a month or two later, I was giving my son a bath, and he stopped playing and froze, staring at the mirror. The way the mirror was positioned, you could see out into the hallway from where we were. I looked to see what he was looking at, expecting it to be his father, making funny faces. But it wasn't. There in the mirror was a disheveled, older man with scraggly, long, dirt-brown hair and a full beard. His face was dirty and his eyes were dark and cruel. A shot of fear went through me and I leapt to my feet yelling, Get out! And ran into the hallway. My husband was on the couch in the living room watching TV. He leaned forward, looked at me quizzically. No one could get past him to get out of the house unseen. He told me he hadn't seen anything. As time wore on, more terrifying experiences occurred. I was waiting up for my ex, who was working a late shift. He had called to say he was on his way home and asked if I could make him a sandwich. I was making a peanut butter and mayo sandwich. (laughs) Don't ask. It's his favorite. I don't get it either. I was standing at the counter spreading the peanut butter when I saw someone walk into the kitchen. As I looked in that direction, I said, huh, you're home early, knowing it would take about 30 minutes for him to drive home, and he had only just called. There was no one there. Thinking I was just overly tired. I mean, it was after midnight. I went back to making the sandwich when I felt someone approach me from behind. I felt my hair being brushed off my neck with ice cold fingers running across my skin. I froze mid swipe with the knife. I stood staring straight ahead. I let out a breath and said, I don't care if you stay, but please don't touch me again. This is our house now. I won't force you to leave, but if you touch me again, I know how to make you go. I kept looking at my ugly cabinet, frozen until I saw the thing move past me into the dining room and off towards the front door. I dropped the knife and ran towards my son's room to make sure he was okay. I searched the entire house and found no one. I went back to what I was doing, crying the entire time. I had just finished when my ex came in. When I explained what was wrong and what had happened, he laughed and told me I was crazy and then ate his gross sandwich. (laughs) Months went by and nothing really happened. Still the random smell of cigarettes, but that was it. I had started to attribute that to my grandmother or grandfather stopping by to say hello from the other side. Feel free to sing that like Adele. (laughs) It was the next thing that happened that caused me to truly fear what was in our house. We were getting ready to go on a long trip. My ex always insisted that we get up at the some insane hour to beat the traffic, although we always seemed to hit it at one point during the trip, which was also somehow my fault, but hey, that's for me and my therapist to work through. I awoke at some dark early hour in the morning because I had heard my name being called from the kitchen. Marilyn. I thought my ex was already up and sighed deeply, starting to get up. As I tossed the comforter off, my hand hit my ex who was still sound asleep in bed next to me. I looked at him, confused. Marilyn, come here, the voice insisted from the other room. I laid back down and pulled the covers over me. Marilyn! I started to cry. Everything in me said not to go see what was calling me. The voice went from that sing-song way calling me, Marilyn, drawing my name out, 
drawing out my name into each syllable. Come here, over here. I started shaking. Eventually, the voice changed to an angry, Marilyn, come here. Then back to sweetly sing-song, back to insisting, and then back to angry over and over and over. And so the alarm clock went off. As soon as my ex woke up, everything stopped. I was never so happy to be getting up and out of the house. After that, it wasn't long before my ex and I were getting divorced, so my time in the house was limited. My ex still owns the house, but rents it out. I wish those renters the best of luck. Thank you, Marilyn. Can you imagine if you heard something in our house whispering your name and getting more aggressive? Lindsay. Oh, my Lindsay. God. Lindsay. Lindsay. But like, that, yeah. like, back and forth, like, almost like the spirit, yeah. like, knows, Lindsay. like, yeah, like, I want you to come here. I'm so sweet. And now I'm getting frustrated that you're mm. not coming. And now I'm going to yell. It's like talking to one of your kids when they won't do what you want. Adding your name makes I it know. so extra scary. Like, fucking awful. Like, the difference, like, I'm just picturing myself in the basement. Well, I'm going to be alone in the house for a couple nights. Because oh, you, you know, you, buddy. <laughs> you'll be down in New Orleans. Good luck. <laughs> and I'm picturing myself there. Like the difference between hearing something, go, come here. Hey, come here. That in and of itself is scary. But then you add, Dan, come here. Oh, my God. Dan. Dan. Dan, come here. Like, oh, my God. The personalization. God damn. If I, could, if I could record something and make that happen in the house, it would be so great. Oh, I'm glad you can't. Now, I wouldn't do that to you because I don't want you to do it back to me. <laughs> that, like, that's the fear. Right? I feel like that fear, that, that keeps like a truce in general in our house. Absolutely. Because the kids are more like aggressive in that way too. It's yeah. kinda, it kind of reminds me of like with Kyler. Kyler's like so so much bigger now. Like I used to just like yeah, in a moment be like, oh, I'm going to rough him up a little bit. Not anymore. And, nope. Now I'll have that thought. And I'm like, nope, because I don't want the payback. <laughs> right. Because he's actually strong now. <laughs> right. He is a beast. And he doesn't hold back. No. No, because he's at that point where he doesn't understand his strength. He doesn't know how mm-hmm. to hold back. Yep. You he's, know? he's an animal I don't want to rile right now. Oh, my God. I know. I thought about messing with you. Um, mm-hmm. This is so mean. I'm just going to say it now because okay. I'm not going to do it. But um, I can control the thermostat from an app. And I was gonna crank the fucking heat <laughs> so high. I've thought about doing that to you when I've been out of town. Do you have the ad? Do you have it on your phone? I used to. Oh. I don't have it. I have to get. I, I was like, oh, I could it. set off the alarm. Like I could. <sighs> so many things. So many things. But again, right now it's already disturbing because we have a um, a pride flag hanging in our like it mm-hmm. hangs there all yeah. year long. Yeah. Not just because it's Pride Month. Um, yeah. And we have the ring doorbell. And when the... Yes, it'll set it off sometimes. <laughs> so sometimes I'll wake up and at like three in the morning it's like activity was detected by the front door. I'm like. <laughs> And then I have to remember, like, I really need to move the fucking flag yeah. because it's going to really get me one of these days. Um, uh, Marilyn brought up Adele. Yeah. That hello song. Yeah. I, do, you, do you know how that melody goes? Because I need to get the other song out of my head because because I started I can't, to go, I, don't, I can't sing, so I'm not going to do it for you. Well, I heard like Adele, hello, and I'm like, oh, yeah, and I can picture the video. But then when the melody goes in my head, it's Lionel Richie and it's driving <laughs> me crazy. Over and over, ever since that was brought up in my head, is going, hello. Is it me you're looking for? That is not the song. It's like, <laughs> hello, it's me. It's like that. It's like, oh, and, then, and then it gets really I hot. I know she the says, video. Like, I can picture the video. I mean, like, if like I can play it for you later, but yeah, like, I'll, do, I'll play it's it. It's like it starts like very, very slow. Mm-hmm. It's quiet. Um, and it builds. Yeah. But like, I don't think anybody can impersonate that song. And no, she has a crazy voice. I know. Remember when you were obsessed with her stats? I know. Because her album was just, just destroying records. Have you seen a picture of her? In the last like year, I know she looks very different. She lost she's much tiny. Like, she's tiny. She lost like two people's worth. I know it's insane. And I never even thought that she was like a very big person. Mm-hmm. Like she just was like curvy mom, had a kid, like whatever. And then I'm like, oh my god. Since I don't have the willpower to like control my diet to get in better shape, yeah, I hate those stories right now. Oh, 
I'm just like, look at somebody else had the you strength used, to do. You used to have the willpower. What happened? I don't know. I don't know. I he, he gave up. I, gave, <laughs> I have a. I have a funny thought. <laughs> okay. Yes. Share. That I could. I couldn't not share this. Please okay. share. But when you're talking about the, you know, the pride flag. Yeah. yeah. I just thought about like <laughs> just a new twist. You just like have like a like a like a stereotypical gay demon. Yeah. <laughs> and how like just like that guy scaring you. I don't know why it like why it crossed my brain. Where he's, like, he, he's like he's like rawr like just like this super stereotypical guy. I don't know why it's so funny to me. That's just that that's Lionel Richie's in my head and that's in your head. I know, but I could I couldn't stop thinking about it because <laughs> I have weird things that set off my like ring doorbell as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. like like hey like just super friendly, right. nice, and you're like oh my god, very well dressed, exactly. They're they, Quaffed they are hair. supportive. They have a real friendly demon. They want the, yeah, there. they want the best for you, but it's scaring the shit out of you. They're super off fit. Your... They're not afraid to tell you when you look fat or yeah, you, you get it, you get it. Oh yes. Two of my best friends are those kinds of guys. And before we move on, mayo, peanut butter. Holy shit, that is disgusting. I know. And then... Just the thought of that. Oh, I forget. the. They emailed her to get the book release, like the, you know, for to put the story in the book. Yeah. And now I cannot remember because it got forwarded to me. Her son eats some other fucking weird sandwich, like bologna and something. That I'll I eat was... a lot of things, but mayo, peanut butter, that specific combo sounds beyond horrific. I know. But, okay, my dad eats this thing that he calls slop. Has he ever made you eat the slop? No. Okay, it's, I mean, it's really not that bad. Wait, you say your dad or your daddy? Your daddy makes the slop? Slop daddy? Fuck yeah, he does. <laughs> my God, you guys! It's so gross. Okay, but your father makes the slop. <laughs> He buys a pound of bologna. He yeah. chops it up into like... So your daddy's bologna? I'm just asking questions. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. You're I'll stop. such a fucking ass. Okay, I'll stop. Okay. He chops it up and then he fries it in butter. He makes a mound of mashed potatoes. He puts the bologna on the mashed potatoes. And then I want to say he puts fucking either ketchup or like a can of like tomato. It's tomato soup. It's Heinz, like uh, Campbell's huh. tomato soup. Just that's fucking yeah. that is slop and him. Every time my stepmom goes out of town, he's like, "You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna walk around the house naked, fart as much as I want, and make slop." I'm like, "You are disgusting." You got a crazy daddy. So that's my new thing. I didn't realize how much it would rile you. I didn't know until it's so middle weird. Of this episode. It it's is creepy. weird. I know. That's so why. It's, stop. That's why it's fun to keep saying. It, no, it's not. Okay. Mm. I don't care for it. For what it's worth, that sounds really good to eat. <laughs> Like, I'm down. You're down? <laughs> tell, just, tell your dad to come back. We have to go golfing and eat some slop. <laughs> oh, my God. He would love it. He'd be like, oh, Joe's my new best friend. <laughs> Remember when my dad cheated at golf? <laughs> I do. We, we don't talk about that. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I'll start with the Annabelle shout-outs, yeah. if you don't mind. Cool. Thanks, some Annabelles from Patreon. Whew, I am sweating. It's quite warm in here. Okay. I would like to thank the following Annabelles, Annabelles for making what we do possible. John Michael Cummings, Dallas, no last name given. Brendan Knight, Teresa Feathers, Jacob Van Sickle, Krista Farley, Robin Peacock, Melissa Hokum, mm, no, Homecom, Logan Hunter, Tyler Blevins, William Shaw, Carlos Suarez, Lisa D'Amico, Brittany McCauley, and Nicholas Glover. And I would like to thank those. Well done. Thank you, sir. And I would like to uh, thank the following Annabelles. Brittany Dumas, Jonah Phillips, Trista Gripka, Adrian Modzik, Megan Huffman, Marta Picara, Marissa Scarbow, Heather Clay, Marcus Longo, Elizabeth Snelson, Rachel Piccioni, Jose. Oh, that's not a real last name. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
They just they didn't put the spaces there. <laughs> That's from Time Suck Reference. That's awesome, Jose. Uh, Chrissy March, Hall Monster, Donna, Hartshorn, and Lexi S. Now, did you? What did you say on the Scar one? Scarborough, Scar Scarborough. Scarborough or Scarborough. Oh, Scar. You know, I, I, there's there's a place called Scarborough. This is spelled Scarborough. B R O U G H. I just, it's I just love your accents that sometimes kick in out of nowhere. Well, because I, I try to get the words pronounced right, and then sometimes it slips into an accent, I know, which it is, is hilarious. stupid. Yeah, it is so funny uh, to me. Oh God, I love it so much. Okay, I have a few spooky shoutouts if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. To Tyrell from Clayton, happy belated birthday. To Liam from Beth, get well soon. He was recently in a pretty bad car wreck. Uh. Uh, to Cody from Stacy, your mother-in-law, happy birthday. To Trevor from Peyton, happy birthday. And to Aisha from Caleb, looking forward to our nursing school adventure. This is crazy. There are a couple, and they're both entering nursing school. Oh, wow. That is an intense time to even be in a relationship. Ambitious. That's awesome. Yeah, good for you guys. And that is all for today. Thank you for continuing to send your personal tales of terror into my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith for running BadMagicMerch.com and our social media accounts along with Liz Hernandez. At Scared to Death Podcast on Instagram and Facebook is where you'll find the pictures that correspond to these episodes. And what are we going to do about the video this week? We're not sure. Not sure. We'll okay. have to figure that out. Um, yeah, you can look, find it on YouTube if we, we can don't put, we post can put it. The link. Yeah, we can put the link in the episode description too. Oh, yeah. okay, great. You guys great. know it's just hard like with Instagram, like linking to these things yeah, plus like the carousel mm-hmm. with like the videos and the yeah. pictures. So sorry. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing today. Thanks to Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Finally, thanks to Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails and thanks to Sarah Finch for finding and gathering details for the first story today and Sophie Evans for finding and gathering details for the second. So go team. I, thank yeah. you. Thank you, Jamie at Journeys at the Spokane Valley Mall for helping me pick out new <laughs> shoes for my son, Kyler. Awesome. She was so sweet. It yeah. was so cute. I was like, no makeup, baseball hat. You guys, I'm not wearing it here, but I have like a new friend. His name is Richard because mm-hmm. um, I have carpal tunnel in my hand. And she was like, I think I know you. And I'm such an idiot. I did not put two and two together. I'm like, I don't know. I buy shoes a lot. <laughs> she was super sweet. That's awesome. Uh, subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch these shows. And sign up to be a Robert or Annabelle on Patreon if you want additional monthly content. Oh, and special thanks to um, your daddy. You got a good old daddy. So Lindsay's daddy is an awesome daddy. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, peepers, and daddies. You're a fucking asshole. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. Add Magic Productions. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense. 
so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 